And today I want to continue that conversation as we, uh, as we did last week with this sermon series called Better Together. This conversation is seriously a radical countercultural conversation because it's the exact opposite of everything you've been taught most of your life growing up in America. And I'm going to say even furthermore than that, especially those of you who have been born since the Internet and social media has come out. There's not maybe a whole lot more so in this service since we don't have the kids' ministries, but, but you would think social media, we are better connected and better relationships, but actually relationships are becoming more shallow because there is less and less personal one-on-one interaction. As Americans, we idolize independence. We talked about this last week that, you know, we have our Declaration of Independence and we're about the I in independence. iPhones, iPads, uh, I, I, I. And we bought into that myth that says happiness is independence. If I have relationship independence, some look at marriage that, hey, if this doesn't work out, you know, they actually get excited about being single again. You know, there's less and less remorse about the fact that a relationship that was meant to last has broken apart. And you'll find people encouraging each other, well, you just need to move on. Instead of, is there any possible way that this could be restored? Um, If we have financial independence, you know, if I could just win the lottery, or if I could just inherit a bunch of money where I didn't have to work and I had independence from any responsibility financially. If I had independence in every area of my life, if I I won't let anyone get close to me and I'm totally self-sufficient, I'll be happy. And that's the lie that we are... Uh, taking hook, line, and sinker in media, in our advertising, and everything is pushing I and independence and individualism and pride in yourself. Pride in yourself enough that you should never let anybody uh, sway you any way that you don't want to go. That can be good if they're trying to sway, sway you in a bad way, but you know, even to the point where no one should be able to tell you anything about religious beliefs because then they're pushing it on you. God, God says that Scripture. Uh, that the key to happiness uh, is not independence, but interdependence. Remember the difference we're talking about. Independence is what the world will push, but God pushes interdependence. Interdependence on him and on each other. We need each other. We belong to each other. We need relational community in our lives. And God wired us to go through life not as solitary individuals, uh, but in meaningful relationship with other people and community. And God promises us that if we do life his way, he will never struggle, we will never struggle with the epidemic that is plaguing our world right now uh, that, uh, of the human race, and it's called loneliness. It's a plague of uh, massive proportions. And when God created us, he simultaneously created us uh, with a need for him. I've heard it since I was a kid in, in, um, in class and in, in church and in Youth groups, we always talked about the God-shaped hole in our heart, right? There is, a sh- there is a hole in everyone's heart that is the shape of God. Now, as a kid, it's kind of funny because I'm thinking, really? Like, if they x-ray me, they'll be like a little, a little God shape, you know? But, but you know what we were actually saying is, is that there is a portion of our life that without God in it, we will continue to search, continue to be broken, continue until we can find uh, something that fits that. And the thing is, nothing fits it other than God. And in the scripture, community is not optional. We were talking about community, not in the sense of just your neighbors and who you live around, but deep, meaningful relationships. And the Bible says that's not optional. So today I want us to continue to look at the why behind we need each other. You know, I mentioned there's five, and we covered number one last week. The first one 
we covered last week is I need others to walk with me. Remember we talked about in scripture that, that um, God's way is often dis, uh, discussed as a walk. He wants us to walk in righteousness, walk together, walk, walk in holiness. There's so many references to walking. That's because this thing, this life that he's put us in is a journey. It's meant, it's meant to be traveled. And we don't start out where we ended. We start at the beginning and move towards the goal. So what does that mean? I need to walk with others. It means I need you to help me to grow spiritually. You know that? Your pastor needs you to help me grow spiritually. And you need the person sitting next to you and across the aisle to help you grow spiritually. These, these young uh, folks up in the front probably don't realize how much they encourage their pastor by just being up here. I mean, they could choose to sit anywhere in the sanctuary. And I know, you know, it, that seats don't make a difference in how spiritual you are. You know, if you're in the back, you're less spiritual. If you're in front, you're more spiritual. But, but it shows an eagerness to me. They want to be at the forefront and be at the beginning. Now, one or two of them may be made to sit up here. I don't know. <laughs> but the fact is, they're together with their peers, and they're there to worship. I look around, and I see these kids lifting hands. Last week... Was it last Wednesday or last Sunday? Wednesday. Last Wednesday. If, if you aren't coming on Wednesdays, you're missing out. Because the cool thing is, is that we have two services on Sunday. But we have a mixture of both services on Wednesday night. And kids were coming up to the altar. And when one would go up, their friend would go up and put their hand on them and, and earnestly pray for them. And they were huddled up and praying. And we had some adults coming up, but these kids were leading the way. We need to walk with each other. We need uh, to be able to be challenged and grow spiritually from each other. And the Bible often calls this the spiritual life, the, the Christian life, a walk. And it means we, need, we walk with each other. We are never meant to walk through life alone. And this has nothing to do with marital status because, as I've said, marriages break apart all the time for this very reason that they stop being communal. That means we are interacting in deep, meaningful relationship, and it becomes very much like a small crowd that just happens to cohabitate. You know, relationships like that break apart in marriages. So marriage is not the answer to community or to loneliness. Um, only community uh, solves the loneliness problem. There are single people who have surrounded themselves by deep, meaningful relationships, and because of that have very healthy lives, and some of them may not ever need to marry because they have God has placed people in their life that, that meet the needs that he's created in us. You know, we talked about walking together is better just because it's safer. I gave the example of when you're in a big city, if you're walking down a dark alley at night, it's better if you're walking with, with other people, right? Um, you know, it, when you walk with other people, it's supportive. It keeps you from giving up. You have energy to keep going when you would, be, would have given up if you're alone. And life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon, you want uh, to make it to the end of life. And if you want to, to go to the finish line well and get there well in life, then you're going to have to have other people involved in your life. And that's the reality of life. You're going to, to burn out if you try to do it without, any, without meaningful, intimate relationships. I, I've joked about this. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but uh, it's really not a joke. I've really, truly been going through what I believe they talk about a midlife crisis. I'm about to turn 42, and it's just the reality that God has not promised us that many years in life. And if I go by what God has promised in the Bible, you know, then I'm more than halfway to the end. And I'm starting to look back and say, what are the things I want to accomplish I didn't? 
um, crazy things, digging out my old military records and looking through it like, wow, I ran that fast or wow, I could swim that fast. And, and it took me back. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I looked up a buddy of mine that I went through. Um, we met in Oklahoma City as we were getting ready to leave for boot camp in the same division of boot camp. We went to the same school after that. We were both headed for a diving program and challenge each other. I remember us running and there's a certain hill in San Diego close to the uh, submarine base that it was like a heart attack hill. And most of the time, if you ate before you ran on that run, that went on that run, by the time you got to the top of the hill, you needed to eat again because you were going to lose everything you'd eaten. It was that bad. And I would find myself, because I was a strong swimmer, and my friend Trace was a strong runner. So we pushed each other. I could outswim me, he got me. And what was funny is we get to that hill, and I'd start thinking, you know what, today I don't think I'm going to do the hill. And I would, I would start to slow down. I'd tell him, say, you know what, go on ahead, and I'll wait for you to come back down. And something would happen to me. When, when he, I'd get down to the bottom of that, it was something about the fact that he was going to complete that without me, that he'd get halfway up, and then I had to kill myself worse to try to catch him and get with him so I could make the top of the hill. So it was, it was always worse on me because I would start chicken out in the beginning, and then something would get a hold of me and say, you, you know, quitter, you know? Is this really what you signed up for, to be a quitter? And I'd, I'd be lecturing myself on the inside, and so then I'd kill myself trying to make that hill. You know, I, I remember a few times, I don't proud of this, but me and Trace went down to Tijuana, Mexico, and I remember us, you know, thinking in the military that we could handle ourselves. We walked through some areas that probably wasn't smart, and I definitely wouldn't have walked alone. I wouldn't admit that, but the fact that I had someone else with me made me feel safer. Um, walking together is supportive. It's also smarter. It's smarter to go through life with close, deep friendships. You learn more walking with people than you do when you walk it alone. And you know, you can walk together with people and not be teachable and you'll never grow. This is a type of deep relationships where it's a give and take. It's a compromise. I learn from you, you learn from me. And so um, we, we see in Scripture, Proverbs 28, 26, if you think you know it all, you're a fool for sure. Real survivors learn wisdom from each other. The Bible tells us in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And one of the things that's very important when you walk with others is that you learn how to get along with other people. Some people struggle socially all their lives because they didn't have maybe the kind of upbringing where they interacted well with others or there was turmoil in the home or they learned some bad relationship principles from, from early on in life. And so when they get into their adult life, they have a hard time interacting socially with others. And if they never get plugged into a loving body of believers where we help each other get past that, then they'll struggle the rest of their life. I've had talks with people before that I knew socially they were challenged. I said, listen, if you don't get past this here while you have support of me that I'll stick with you no matter what, you're just going to keep having the same thing over and over again. You're never going to let anybody in close. You're never going to achieve what you could in life. You're never going to be able to be all that God has created you to be and function in a church body like we're meant to be if you can't let someone help you build relationships closer than what you are now. We all throw up different guards and walls because of past experiences. And the Bible says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. Community is God's answer to loneliness. And God wants you somewhere where you're recognized. He wants you somewhere where you're genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. And the Bible says if I'm going to be everything God wants me to be, I'm going to have to walk with other people to grow. 
And the Bible is clear about the why. It's because life is about relationships, not achievements. If you remember back to the very first intro messages, I split up in three messages when we started this, this whole topic on community. I mentioned that, 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 we, um, that we cannot uh, look at life like the American culture does because we look at time as money. And when people take up your time, they're taking your money. And in other cultures, they look at relationships as the most valuable thing they've got. And so they'll be late for an important business meeting if it meant that they were building a closer relationship with someone who's going to be there lifelong. He, God wants me to learn to love and to learn to love others. And that's two of the greatest commands in Scripture, growing to love him well and growing to love other people well. Some of you are struggling with why you can never seem to reach your full potential in a body of Christ or, or with the Lord and in ministry in your life. And a large part of it is because the greatest two commands you still have not given the appropriate focus on. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others. We have to get to the point where we truly love others in the biblical, uh, biblical way uh, and intense, meaningful relationships if we're going to grow spiritually. 1 Corinthians 14 in the message says, we read this last week, when you gather, be prepared with someone something useful for all. Uh, we talked about that in the small group setting. You know, if we were to open up the mic this morning for everybody to share a little something, by the time we got to the last person, we had been here all day, maybe into tomorrow. And so as the church grows, and now we're, we're reaching probably past, we're probably getting past the 118, 120 mark um, of people in two services, uh, even on Wednesday nights where there's some of uh, both combined, you're not going to build close relationships in those few service times. This is not the setting. This is not what that community was meant to be. In the Old, Test or in the Old Testament, you know, uh, they gathered together, and it said in 1 Corinthians 14, when you gather together, be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a hymn. Teach a lesson. Read a story. Sing a prayer. Provide an insight. Take your turn with no one person taking over. That way, you can all learn from each other. And does that sound like we do what we do here on Sunday morning? One thing that's happened in the culture of my family is last night as we gathered together with extended family and some friends of extended family, that it, it seems to happen at every get-together is we begin to sing hymns together. My sister and my niece will lead out, and before you know it, we all begin to sing. And, you know, uh, one of our, our friends that was there uh, made a joke, said, what is this, a Gaither sing-along? And, you know, I've kind of poked fun at that because when you're younger, you poke fun at the older people, and then you get older, and then you regret that and realize that you should have been sympathetic all along, right? My parents are grinning. Um, but the truth is the Gaithers, while they were uh, well-known and had a singing group and, and, and they put these videos out about them get together, I sense that there is more to it than just producing a video and selling some uh, worship music that they have walked life together. There's people who they're not related, but they've had the same common goal of bringing worship and the hymns to life for people, passionately singing them out. And so because of that common bond, they have become a community. And even though they've traveled all over as different groups, that now uh, later in life, they're finding that the thing that may, means the most to them is be able to come together and share in community together. And that's happening in our own family. So, um, we, we don't have that true opportunity in the church service. And this is where it becomes radical and challenges us all because we've always been led to believe and thought that we could come here and satisfy what God expects us to do together as a community. 
And, you know, we would uh, do programs like Sunday schools. And, and those are good. Those have been good in the past for people to get together. But still, you're, you're, you've got an hour or so. You've got an appointed leader or, or teacher. And those almost sometimes become like just another sermon time with a little bit of interaction. But for people to be able to share in community and be, bring a song, bring a hymn, bring a word of knowledge to the group. That's why a lot of churches have moved to the small group uh, um, model because in the home where there's not a pressure of time for the most part, and it's a little more relaxed, people can truly become a community. So we talked about, you know, in the, in the New Testament, you have the church going to the Sabbath, the temple, co- on the, uh, temple courts on the Sabbath, and then meeting throughout the week from house to house. It was happening back then. It was a model. It's not a new model of the church, the small groups. It was happening then. And so they were in the temple courts together as a large group, and then they went house to house as small groups. And if you're only coming to the temple court, you're only getting half the discipleship opportunity that church has to offer. And I believe you're only growing at half the level that is possible to grow. And so as we get into today, uh, the second thing we need, you've got to understand, we have to not only walk together, but we need people to work with us. It's not about just getting together. It's not about just knowing what's going on in each other's lives, but we need to work together. And why is that? Because God has designed us to be a driven people that, that accomplish things for his, his glory and his purpose. And so if we don't have a sense of purpose together, something to work together uh, on, then we'll never grow in depth in our relationships. And the Bible says God puts you on this earth to do something significant. And it says in Ephesians 2 that God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Before you were ever born, he wrote the days of your life in a book, and he put the gifts and talents and personality in you. He sovereignly designed what family you were going to belong to. And some of you, that may sound hurtful because you're like, I don't have a good family. How could God have sovereignly put me in that? Well, he didn't want the things that happened in your family that were negative. But now that it's happened, he's put you in a loving body of believers where that can be turned into something good and helpful to minister to others with similar backgrounds. Anytime your gifts and talents and abilities are being used to help someone, there's a word for that, and it's called ministry. We are all, all of us are ministers. Not all of us are vocational pastors such as myself, but all of us are ministers. When you use your gifts, God wired you to use them to help others, and you're doing what God wants you to do. And he calls those works of service. Now I believe this life on earth is practice for eternity. I've mentioned several times, you know, you may have grown up with a picture of heaven where you somehow turn into an angel after you die, and go to heaven, and you sit up there playing harps or throwing grapes over your buddy who's sitting back on a cloud eating grapes, right? We've got those, um, those ancient paintings, you know, of us somehow, these very ripped and muscular individuals laying back on clouds, right? <laughs> and we, we do the E.T. thing to communicate. We just touch fingers, you know? It's, we've got all kinds of pictures of heaven, but God created this earth, and you look back at the account of Adam and Eve, and we were created with a purpose, you know, Adam and Eve, when sin entered the world, it wasn't that they all of a sudden started working. It's that now it was painful and, and there's sweat and toil and all the gross stuff that goes along with work now, right? The childbirth was already going to happen, but now there's pain in childbirth, right? So God's design for us was to be active, creative um, uh, people who had something to do 
uh, not only in the life here, but in eternity. The Bible tells us two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. God created Adam and then he created Eve as a helpmate. And men, that's why uh, scripturally, as priests of the home, our wives should be looked at as our partner. Uh, again, I love those words that um, I've used many times that my dad has used in, in weddings where we talked about that God did not create Eve from Adam's skull, that he might, you know, that she is just part of his intelligence, you know. Um, God created Adam, or Eve from Adam's rib that they might be side by side and that he might protect her and guide her and lead her, but they are together as partners. Some of us, we, we hear these things and we think, you know what, this sounds like more work. And some of you in this room are just exhausted. And I don't mean tired. I mean, everybody gets tired, but I'll, and I'll be tired at the end of the day, but some of us get completely burnt out, exhausted. I've hit it before. I know what it feels like. I'm more susceptible to get physically ill when I've exhausted myself. And some of us in this room today are burnt out, exhausted because we've been trying to do life by ourselves. We've been trying to do life on our own. We've gone beyond tired and we've exhausted ourselves to the point of being detrimental to ourselves. It's funny as we are gaining more people on the team and people who are getting engaged and involved and part of our rural compassion ministry has been to go from the top down in our community and minister first to those who are serving our community and build relationships there so we can work together to minister to those who are less fortunate. And one of the things that happened recently, I was talking to Amanda Neighbors about this, but um, uh, her and Melissa, they, they have been talking about this, but uh, the opportunity... Melissa got, got a chance to open the opportunity for us to serve Thanksgiving dinner to the fire department. So because Jennifer and I are now learning this transition and getting used to it, Jennifer gets a text, hey, we're serving Thanksgiving dinner to the fire department. And I could see the look on Jennifer's face. She began to think, okay, now what do I need to do? Oh, my goodness, how much time do I have? And, and you know, she was already getting angst of, like, what all she had to do. And I said, honey, Melissa didn't say you're serving the dinner for the fire department. She said, we, the church, is serving dinner, Thanksgiving dinner for the fire department. So, you know, uh, we're having to learn ourselves that it, if we were to unplug from the community and try to do it on our own, we're going to be exhausted. She's exhausted from getting the text because she misunderstood the text, you know? Look how quick it sets on. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to be tired next month already. I haven't even got there yet. You know, you got to keep in mind, and this is a positive thing, but we are getting ideas thrown at us often. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And we have to, Jennifer and I have to program ourselves to not hear that as, why don't you do that? Because we can't on our own. As a community of believers, plugged in, working together, knowing how each other work, having close enough relationships that we can get involved in something, and if we butt heads quickly, we can get over it and move on. That doesn't tear apart the whole mission. But some of us, because we've been trying to do life by ourselves and we've been trying to do life our own, we've gone beyond tired and we're exhausted to the point of being detrimental ourselves because we've been trying to do it alone and we've not been doing it in relationship and we're meant to do it in a working, deep, meaningful relationship. It just makes sense that more uh, of us work, uh, get more work done when we do it together. You know, Jennifer and I, she serves me uh, just beyond uh, what you believe. I mean, I come home, she wants me to sit down, she wants to serve me dinner, and I've mentioned before, she'll get frustrated, and I hear, I hear her uh, go, <sighs> I say, hon, what's that? Nothing, I'm just breathing. Well, I know better than that. <laughs> I breathe, and I don't walk around going, <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> 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 
But she, I have to stop her sometimes and say, you know what, you're so quick to say, no, I got it, but why don't you let me do something? Now, when I offer, I sure, my natural, I'd love her to say, sit down. Like, okay, good, I did my thing, I offered, now I'm going to go sit down, you know? (laughs) When she does take me up on it, says, sure, you could maybe put the dishes away, right? I'm like, ah. (laughs) Yeah. But as we work together, one thing I found is our relationship deepens and we, we become more romantic and more in love with each other as we do things together, as we work together. When we're individuals doing our own thing in the day and then we come together in the evening, try to have a meeting conversation, then get some sleep for the next day, you know, you can tell there's separation there. But if we work together on something, she has the kids do their schoolwork at the, at the church one day and comes in and helps me in the office to catch up on some things, that feels like an awesome day. I, I'm not alone. I'm not here at the church office uh, stressed because I got too much to get done in one day. I've got my partner and my helpmate with me. It just makes sense that we get more work done together when we do it together. And we have a whole lot more fun doing it in the process. And God has called New Song Church to serve this community and to model it to other churches. And we're attempting to address huge problems. Through real, real compassion, we're attempting to, to meet problems where kids don't have the things they need for school. Maybe they don't have food. Um, you know, to our, uh, we found out the fire department, they were trying to figure out how they're going to do Thanksgiving dinner. And here a church uh, is going to be able to fill that need for them. So we're addressing issues in our community and around the world. We're having missionaries come and, and, and project to us what they're planning to do, and we're giving money to see uh, kids be fed and be taught the Word of God. And as we attempt to do these things, as we're attempting to do them um, with missions giving and with rural compassion and with our men's and women's ministry, if we approach all this in, as individuals with an individual mindset, we will simply exhaust ourselves and never complete our mission. If we look at these issues from an individual mindset, it's overwhelming. Just like Jen getting the text, um, automatically you'll start to begin to think, I can't do it, if you think of it as doing it on your own. But if we work together with other churches and organizations, it's obtainable. If you're exhausted to the point of burnout and, you, uh, and detriment today, it means you're trying to do too much on your own. If you can't seem to find the time and, and the energy to get involved in the church and do something for the kingdom, then it's because you t- continue to look at it as something you've got to do on your own. And if you'll take time to build relationships first, deep, meaningful relationships with each other in the homes and at events and make sure you make it to those things, those relationships, as they get stronger, you'll be able to work together. And the things we will accomplish as a church together will blow people's minds at what this church, at the size we are, how we can impact our community. So many churches have done it, but they don't do it on their own. They work with other churches and other organizations and together. I mean, some of us, get, some of us might get the um, Mother Teresa syndrome. And, and what is that? It's when we look at Mother Teresa and say, look at all she accomplished. Well, is there anything wrong with it? Well, yes, there is. You know why? Because many will say uh, uh, Mother Teresa did so much, and they forget that she is part of the Sisters of Charity. And that they, all these stories about Mother Teresa and what she did, they forget that the strength that Mother Teresa received was not only from the Lord, but a part of a community she served in, in in Calcutta. There's other nuns, there's others that came alongside her and helped her. There's people who supplied the things that she was able to do. But if you just think, I'm going to be the personality of Mother Teresa, I'm going to be the Lone Ranger, and I'm going to go at this by myself, you know, that's not how Mother Teresa did it. And that's not how God designed us for us to do it. One of the thing is I, things as I've been kind of looking back at uh, this month was the 240th anniversary of the Navy, and that kind of got me started looking at my old Navy stuff. 
Um, and I looked at, you look at the guy who pulled the trigger on uh, Osama bin Laden, right? The Navy SEAL that they've given credit to, and he came out, and there's been controversy about whether he should have come out. But, you know, he even gave credit to his team, and a lot of us will look at that like the importance is who actually did the deed, right? But what about the people who risked their lives to find out the location? What about the, the years of all the people tracking down and, and the work trying to find that person who was doing evil across this, across this world? There are people who went in there with him that risked their lives, and it could have been any number of them that did it, but we focus on who was the one that should get all the glory. And we forget that that person didn't accomplish it on their own. You know, we look at that like in a, in a situation with snowflakes. They're frail. They Just if you hold your finger out and a snowflake lands on your finger, it just dissolves quickly. But what happens when millions and millions of snowflakes come together and begin to pack together? They are so powerful they can stop modern society in its tracks, right? Stop traffic, and especially in this state and down south, doesn't take much, right? Sometimes God puts you in an environment where it doesn't take a whole lot of people to make a big, big impact. You just have to stick together. And you have to do it in such a way that you're working together. You're not just sticking together, but you're, you're coming together for a common bond and a common purpose. Community is God's answer to fatigue. If you're tired to the point of exhaustion and burnout, it means you haven't valued the relationship God has put in your life to support you in what he's called you to do. Have you ever watched the documentaries about uh, Amish barn raisings? You know, it's one thing. Um, I've come together to help people put a building together. Uh, people help me on my house. And the days when I was out there by myself and trying to throw uh, four by eight sheets of OSB or do something like that, you know, I'm thinking, this is horrible. But you get five, six guys out there with a common purpose to come and help and how much we get accomplished. It was just awesome to feel that, that love and that support. And so the Amish, they figured that out long before some of us have. And so when they come together on a barn, they bring people from other communities and they all come together and they accomplish it in a short amount of time and do a better job than they could have ever done with just a few the Bible says in Galatians 6.10, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us, the community of faith. There's two types of ministries, inside the church and outside the church. And very quickly, I'm beginning to form some volunteer uh, titles of people who volunteer. We're going to have a church ministries director, and we're going to have um, a missions director, and we're going to have an outreach director. And the reason for that is I'm finding that as we go, I, I can't even keep up week to week all the stuff that we're trying to uh, accomplish. But if we have one person who says, I'll be the one that leads that community of believers to do this, if I'll be the person that will lead that, then the things we can accomplish when we uh, use God's uh, wisdom he's given us and come together, bond together, it'd be amazing what we can accomplish. And it's not about the title. And I know that people are going to step into that. It's not that they're looking for a title. But it gives us someone to say, that's the person that we all gather around when we're trying to accomplish this. Paul says, start with the family of faith. Serve them, love them, and then connect and reach your world. I need people to walk with me through life. I need people to work with me through life. And I, I, the third thing is, I need people to watch out for me through life. It's the very basis of why so many communities come together, even unhealthy ones. We talked about this last week a little bit, but that's why terrorist organizations, people who never would have thought of themselves joining those things, Americans joining things over in other countries that have nothing to do with the fight in their country, but they do it because there's some greater sense of purpose. It's not that they really believe in all the ideology, but at first it becomes because they want someone to watch out for me through life. Nobody's watching my back. Nobody loves me enough 
to be there no matter what, even at the threat of death. And so it's very appealing to be a part of something where there are guys who will end their life to protect you because you're part of the same mission. And that means I need to be in a relationship with someone who is going to defend me. I need to be in a relationship with someone who's going to stand up for me and protect me, keeping me on track, watching my back, warning me when I get off track. And we all have blind spots. You know, you can't do this thing on your own because you're going to mess up because we all have blind spots. We all have areas of our life, and this is where being teachable, um, someone, uh, you letting them have permission to speak into your life, but you have areas that you can't see where you're messing up. Do you realize that? Everybody's starting to think, what is it? What is it? You can't see it. That's the point. You're not going to figure it out today or later or any other time. The only way you're going to see it is someone else who God has given that strength to be to start rubbing against you, not physically, but, you know, start to, to iron sharpen iron. You get around each other. And through that deep sense of community and relationship, it'll begin to be illuminated. You'll see it. I get around preachers who are very strong preachers, very good communicators, and then I listen to my messages, and I'm like, aha, I see something I'm doing I shouldn't be doing or something I should be doing better. If I'm going to be, be the best at what God has called me to do, I've got to get around people who are better at some things than me. I don't always know what that is because it's a blind spot. And without those relationships, you're never going to find it out. The Bible says in Philippians 2.4, look out for one another, uh, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Don't be selfish. You want a verse that's countercultural to uh, that's countercultural to America? That's it. Because right now America's on a on a heading of it's every man for himself. Every man, woman, and child for themselves. You know, they think they're defending each other. You know? Oh, all the Christians are haters, and you just you know, it's so backwards because they don't realize that Christians don't really have uh, just nothing else better to do. If they're true Christ follower, that if they're preaching, saying, hey, this is sin, turn away, it's not like I don't have anything better to do. They're compelled to because they know that destruction is down the road for them. But the world can't see that. They think we're hating. And it's so backwards because it's not hate. It's trying to say, look, I know where I'm headed. I know that I have eternity free of sin to be rescued from all that. And I want you to go with me. They look at a separation, not as pulling together. Don't just look out for your own interests, but pay attention to the needs of other people. We're going to conclude here in just a few minutes, but there's an example that's given in this message that I thought was uh, pretty hilarious. Um, Brian Jarrett talks about uh, being at a a church one time when they had a guest speaker, but the pastor got up and got fired up, and he's really preaching along, and all of a sudden his wife noticed that his zipper was down. And so she quickly, looking for something, grabbed a hymnal, opened it up to a blank page in the front, and wrote, zip it with an exclamation point, real big. And she just holds it where he could see it. And he keeps going, he keeps going. And he's like, he finally, he gets aggravated. His wife keeps putting it. He says, I know my wife thinks I'm taking too long. I know we have a special speaker, but the Holy Spirit has moved upon me and I got to get this message out. And the wife thought, okay, just go ahead with yourself. <laughs> Close it and let him preach the rest of the time. And just like Brian Jarrett said, please, someone love me enough If I'm up here preaching and my zipper is down and you see it, don't let me go the whole service. Let me know somehow, you know. And Pastor Brian gave a name for that. It's called carefrontation. It's loving each other enough to see when we're, we got something that will embarrass us, mess us up, take us off the path that we're supposed to be going, that we have that carefrontation. We love each other enough to say, look, brother and sister in Christ, you need to turn. 
Hebrews 13.1, keep being concerned about each other as the Lord, uh, the Lord's followers should. We should care about each other. We are family. We're God's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we are of royal priesthood, real royal blood that we should come together and be caring for one another. The fourth and fifth in this message, I don't want to carry this on another week. We've got another message next week that's a powerful one I want to get to. But the fourth thing is I need others to wait with me and weep with me. There's times in our life we go through tragedy, we go through struggles, things that, that carry on for some time in our life, and we need each other to be there in those times. We're never meant to carry those burdens alone. And the fifth thing is I need others to witness with me. The, the thing that we are meant to do once we've been saved, we've been raised up, and we have the knowledge of the gospel is to go out and preach the gospel or to teach the gospel, to bring it out to other people that don't know. And that's something we're not meant to do on our own either. Even Paul and Silas were together in prison. God had placed them there to support each other. It was them singing hymns together and praising the Lord that they were able to, to, to be there. And God answered in a big way when he opened the prison doors. But I need someone to go with me in the hard place of life. And then number, and, and number five, as I said, I need someone to help me do the most important things I'll ever do, which is share my faith. Ken, if you'll come to the keyboard. Listen. You know, there's some things I may tell you about myself that I don't know that my family, that my closest family even knows. But I've identified that I'm more of a loner than anybody realizes. All my family knows of me is that I've always been able to talk to anyone, uh, carry on conversations. But you know, you can talk and carry on conversations and never let someone get deep enough in your life that you truly are challenged and guided by them. A lot of what's happened in my life that's been negative is because I've, I've been a loner of a different sense. I've not let people get close enough to be there to be able to recognize there's something going on that you need, you need help, brother. I mentioned in Bible college, I'd identified it. I, people would ask how you're doing, and I'd say, I'm fine, when I wasn't fine. And in the very beginning, we talked about how we do that as a culture. When you say, how are you doing? We don't really want to know. We're just saying, I see you. But in the church, we need to reverse that. And when someone says, how you're doing, we mean it. And if they try to fool us and say I'm fine we say baloney I know something's going on folks it don't matter this isn't just a message it isn't just a church service at New Song this is the truth of how God designed us and until you really dig into this deeper further than I'm taking you the message until you really bite down this and say I'm going to figure out how I'm interacting my life in a sense of community, until I really identify what my issues are and come together with others, it don't matter whether you go to this church, you leave church altogether and go to some other uh, thing to try to fit your community need, you're going to be searching and searching it, and you're never going to be satisfied. Because the God of this universe that created you created a sense of need, not only for Him, but for other believers. And that's just the truth. So as we get ready to pray, and I know we've got a little past time here for the first service, but as we begin to pray, I want you to really search your heart and say, God, help me. You know, I challenge everybody each week, do not leave this building without setting up a time to get together with someone. That's our go-do. Every service we're doing this community service, it's a go-do. Why? Because if we do it enough, it become a habit. And what does the scripture say? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing. It takes forming a habit. You've got to do it enough that you'll do it without even thinking about it. That's what God wants to instill in your life, is that community is who you are, not just where you go. Let's pray.
Lord, I ask right now as you help us, Lord, as we look at our own hearts and say, what is it, Lord, that you're trying to say to me? Where is it? Every one of us in here has a lack in this area. There's not one of us that has uh, the corner on the market when it comes to community. Some of us may be better at relationships than others, but we all have need. And so, God, right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. God, you'd show us where we need to improve. God, you'd put us in, in, in those uncomfortable situations, Lord, where we've got to let people in closer. We've got to give them the right to speak into our lives. Lord, it won't be everyone, but as we form our small communities, Lord, as these small groups of individuals come together and become a community, Lord, that we would allow each other to sharpen each other, to challenge each other. Lord, where we can be generally known, where that loving support, Lord, is just surrounding us every time. And God, where we're honestly challenged, where there's no fakeness, Lord, it's all honestly challenging each other to press on towards the mark, Lord, to be successful in your kingdom. We thank you for it, Lord. Just take a few moments. I want you to just let the Holy Spirit continue to speak to you. Everybody look up here. This conversation you have with the Lord now needs to carry on beyond this service. Again, we can't have everything we need in this little bit of time. You're going to have to get on your knees, on your own, at at home. You're going to have to challenge yourself to step out of your comfort zone before you leave today and have a conversation with someone about getting together and getting to know them. And God will begin to form around you those you may not become, uh, become very, very close with everyone in this room. But God will begin to form those that you walk together with and challenge each other. And he'll use that to bring so much fulfillment to your walk with the Lord. You won't, you won't even believe what he'll do. As we go today, I'm just going to challenge you again. Uh, make those conversations happen. If you miss out before you get out the door today, you meant to talk to somebody, we've got directories now, church directories. If you haven't got one, we're trying to get one to everyone. Begin to call people and say, look, I'd just like to get together for a few minutes. 15, 20, 30 minutes over coffee just to get the conversation going. God will do miraculous things if you just take those steps. Amen. Love y'all. Have a great Sunday. And uh, we'll see you Wednesday night.